You know, there are many things in our world that are comparable. That is, they are, they are capable of being compared. We understand things, we teach lessons many times by comparison. And we'll compare cars, we'll compare houses, we'll compare all sorts of material things. Many times we'll make a careful comparison about certain products before we settle on one particular product. We're all accustomed to comparisons, and Jesus used comparisons in his teaching. You remember in the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount, we're studying that great sermon on Sunday nights right now, as a matter of fact. But in Matthew 7:24, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. I will liken him, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And so the Lord here compared the obedient believer to a wise man who built his house upon a solid foundation. But you know, there are some things that are simply incomparable. Some things are incomparable, incapable of being compared. And today, for just a few moments, we're going to talk about four such things, four such entities, four incomparable things. The first of which is this, as we have just sung really very short time ago in that great hymn, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah, there is no God like Jehovah. He is incomparable. Let them praises give Jehovah, the chorus begins, for his name alone is high. And oh, how true that is. His name alone is high. There is no God like Jehovah, the great I Am. The covenant God, the God who keeps covenant with his people. In Exodus 15, 11, the question is asked, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Who is like you? In that great song of Moses, as it was sung on the other side of the Red Sea as the Israelites had crossed and they celebrated with that song of praise to God. Those were the words that were a part of that great praise occasion. Who is like you, O Lord? And then at the dedication of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 22 and 23, we read, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord, Jehovah, God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you. You who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. Oh, there's a key qualifying phrase, isn't there? You who keep covenant with all your servants, who walk before you, how? With all their hearts. Hearts. And then the psalmist expressed it this way in Psalm 86 at verse 8, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 56, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things. And we are for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Oh, yes. The God of heaven, Jehovah God, is incomparable. But why? Why is there no God like Jehovah? He is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 3, 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. There is no God like Jehovah because he is our creator, creating all things through another member of the Godhead, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is none like him because he is eternal, as the psalmist expressed it in Psalm 90 and verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And in the Revelation letter, the 24 elders said this, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. The one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. Revelation 11, verse 17. The words of the 24 elders before the throne in that beautiful scene. There is no God like Jehovah because he is also incomparable in all of his ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you remember. The Lord through the prophet Isaiah said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1? He said, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. A figure of speech in which he emphasizes the wisdom of God and how totally inadequate the wisdom of man is when contrasted to the wisdom of God. Why is there no God like Jehovah? Because he is also incomparable in his love. John reminds us in 1 John 4, 8 that he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And in Romans 5, 8, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us, he loves us, and he demonstrated that love in that while we were yet sinners, undeserving of his love and the sacrifice that flowed from it, he nonetheless sacrificed his only begotten son for us. And yes, he is also incomparable because of his rewards. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, remember near the end of Paul's life, he said, I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, he said, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And implied in that loving of his appearing is loving and keeping his commandments in order to expect that same reward. Peter tells us that if we're faithful, we look to an inheritance, 1 Peter 1 and verse 4, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven 
for you. Oh yes, there is no God like Jehovah, the great I Am, the God who keeps covenant with his people who walk before him in all their ways with all their heart. Secondly, another incomparable thing is the Word of God. While there is no God like Jehovah, there is no book like the Bible. None like it because it is from God and can be shown to be from God and claims for itself to be from God. Remember Paul's very familiar writing in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 where he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the Hebrews writer reminds us in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 that God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things whom also, through whom also he made the worlds. The Bible, no book like it because it is from God. None like it because it is unchangeable. And how thankful we ought to be that we have that definitive standard. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24, 35 said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Peter reiterated that statement in 1 Peter 1, 25 when he said, But the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he adds, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This is unchangeable. This will meet us in the last day. This will judge us in the last day. The New Testament, the last will and testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because all of us living today are subject to this testament. There have been those obviously who've lived in former times who were subject to the Old Covenant and even before the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, those who were subject to God under the patriarchal dispensation. But God's revealed word is unchangeable. And there's none like it because only it, that unchangeable word, can save the soul. It's unchangeable because it saves the soul. James admonished, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James 1, 21. And oh yes, that familiar statement from the Apostle Paul's pen in Romans 1.16. How could we forget it? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, singularly, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also for the Greek. There's no book like the Bible because it will judge us in the last day, as we have already alluded to, but there's a passage to which we refer quite often that makes it abundantly clear, and that's John 12.48 where Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. How has he spoken that word? He spoke it as he lived among men, and it was recorded by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this book, but he also spoke it through those whom he authorized to preach and to teach and to write by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and others. And it is that word which Jesus assures us will judge us in the last day. In Revelation 20 and verse 12, John's vision there reminds us also of that standard of judgment when he says, 
And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Many believe the books, plural there, is a reference to the covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And some who will stand before God, as we alluded to a moment ago, will stand before God in Christ and be judged by a former covenant because they lived and died under that covenant. We'll stand before God and we'll be judged by this covenant, the new covenant, the last will and testament of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's what's written is the point that will judge us in the last day. There is no God like Jehovah. There is no book like the Bible. And thirdly, there is no church like the Lord's church, the church of which we read in the New Testament. It is incomparable. It is incomparable because God planned it. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. It was not an afterthought. It was not an accident. It was not plan B. It was plan A. The only plan God ever had was to ultimately be culminated in the establishment of his precious blood-bought church purchased with the blood of his only begotten son. Listen to it in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Listen to it again. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. How much clearer could a statement be to illustrate that the church was never an afterthought as some tragically contend in the world in which we live today. Claiming that Jesus came to establish an earthly kingdom initially but he was rejected by the Jews that he had not anticipated that rejection and so he set up the church to last until such time as he'll come again and this time he'll set up that earthly kingdom. That's false doctrine. And one needs only this passage we've just cited to prove it, though there are many others that can be cited. But Ephesians 3, 10, and 11 will do it, won't it? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. That's what he had in mind all along. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. And it's incomparable, the church is, because Christ built it. Upon this rock, he said to Peter, I will build my church. That rock being that great foundational truth that Peter had confessed before him in the coast of Caesarea Philippi when he asked his disciples, Whom do men say I, the Son of Man, am? And they gave various answers, and then he said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter made that great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, and the Lord's response was, Blessed are you. Simon, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say also to you, you are Peter, a little stone, and upon this rock, a great foundation bedrock, not Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will build my church. That's why it's incomparable, because Christ built it. It's incomparable because Christ's blood purchased it, Acts 20, 28. The admonition of Paul to those Ephesian elders was to take heed to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, listen to it, which he purchased with his own blood. That's why it's incomparable. The blood of Christ purchased it. It is incomparable because Christ is the head of the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. 
And he put all things, he, God, put under, all things under his, Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, to be head over all things to what? The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is incomparable also because the saved are in the church. Ephesians 5, 23, listen to it. For as the husband is the head of the wife, Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The church, the body, and he's the Savior of it. Therefore, to be saved, I must be in it. And I can glorify God in no other way and in no other place than in the church. For Ephesians 3 and verse 21 makes it abundantly clear. Listen to what Paul writes here. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. What's our purpose for living on this earth? To glorify God. What does that passage tell us about where we can do it? The only place where we can. In the incomparable church of the Lord. There is no God like Jehovah. There is no book like the Bible. There is no church like the Lord's church. And finally, there is no home like heaven. That's the home that ultimately awaits the faithful. No home like it. It is eternal. Remember what Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, as the New King James puts it, tabernacle, the King James says, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. No home like heaven because it is eternal. No home like heaven because it is undefiled. And nothing can enter heaven that is defiled because it is undefiled. And we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 4, where Peter, Peter reminds us of that, to an inheritance incorruptible and what? Undefiled, which does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Oh, yes. There is no home like heaven. It's eternal. It is undefiled. And the curse of sin cannot reach us there. Revelation 22, 3, and there shall be no more curse, no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And there'll be no death. Revelation 21, 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. No God like Jehovah, no book like the Bible, no church like the Lord's church, and no home 
like heaven. Far too many people are caught up in the comparable today rather than the incomparable. Paul spoke of some in his day who compared themselves with themselves, and he said, what about it? It is not a wise thing to do. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. And sometimes we let the crises and the crucibles we face in this life cloud our vision concerning the incomparable things. Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I've said it more than once. We have those among us this very day who are suffering for various reasons. But let us remind ourselves of Paul's inspired words that those sufferings, as difficult as they are, as trying as they are, that compared with the glory which shall be revealed, they pale in comparison and they prepare us, hopefully, for the full enjoyment of that time when time is no more and when that suffering shall have ended and when we will be together in that eternal home. Where are you focusing today? On the comparable or the incomparable? If you're not a Christian, it's evident from that fact that you're focused on the comparable still. We plead with you to begin this very day to focus on the, comp on the, on the incomparable by becoming a child of God. By being able to sing as a child of God, let them praises give Jehovah, for his name alone is high. To be able to sing that with conviction and confidence, you must come to the one who alone is high through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And that is done through a belief in Jesus as the Christ that will lead you to repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of those sins. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said clearly. And indeed, if you've done those things, but you know that for whatever reason, you have begun again to concentrate more on the comparable and you've lost sight of the incomparable, and that that change has brought about sin in your life of which you need to repent in a public way. If it's private, you take care of it privately. No need for public response. And for all who need no response, continue to focus. Despite the challenges you now face, despite the sufferings you now endure, despite the losses that you have incurred, precious losses, keep focused on the incomparable. But today, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, will you come as we stand to sing?